Welcome to the A-Game Podcast with Nick LaMagna, digging into the minds and experiences of some of today's brightest entrepreneurs in real estate and business, along with Hollywood stars, UFC fighters, and your favorite rock bands. People that have figured out how to overcome obstacles, take chances, live boldly, and no matter what they do, they always bring their A-Game. My guest today on the A-Game Podcast is Rafael Cortez. He is an absolute real estate ninja. Guy's been in the game for over 20 years. He has been flipping, creative financing, uh, wholesaling properties, acquisitions, dispositions, systems, processes. He knows it all. He does it all. And he is now teaching people to do exactly his systems and processes that he has put in place. So a lot of really cool stuff. He also has a psychological background, which I think is really cool to jump in a little bit to not only the psychology of the seller, but the psychology of the entrepreneur and us and all the crazy things we put in our head, the fear of failure, the fear of success, the self-sabotage, all the different things that we do as the journey as the crazy entrepreneurs and real estate investors that we are, he tackles all that. So a lot of really cool stuff from the mindset stuff to very direct tactical information on how to find different markets, what to look for in different markets, the six-step process, the wholesaling, he breaks down acquisitions, dispositions, all kinds of different things. We talk about time management, work-life balance. We talk a little bit about jujitsu, and then we talk about his podcast and how he can help you, and he gives you guys a chance to take a free course that he's put together for everybody who's listening to this podcast. So make sure to check it out. Make sure to see the show notes and connect with Raphael. Good dude. Knows his stuff. Definitely check him out. Uh, all the ways to connect with him, his podcast, his academy, everything on social media, right there in the show notes. And of course, once again, for probably the 340th time now, while you're there and you're looking at the show notes, please connect with us. The way we continue to get amazing guests like Rafael Cortez is by having you guys subscribe so the algorithms know that people are actually listening to this podcast and you guys are actually enjoying the information that they bring you. So Nick, 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 three Nicks. Dot com slash links, L-I-N-K-S, is all the ways to find this on pretty much every platform you could possibly think of. You can listen to it. You can watch it anywhere. Please take a minute and do that. Follow us, subscribe, whatever it might be on YouTube, on iTunes, whatever it is. And while you're there, nicknicknick.com slash links will connect you to all the social media that we're on. Please interact with us on that. If my stuff is not showing up in your feed, find me, like something, message me something, and then I'll start following your stuff and we'll pop up on each other's feeds. And then when I post amazing clips of Raphael giving information on this episode. If you guys like it, if you share it, if you tag somebody in it, if you ask them a question, that interaction goes a long way for the algorithm. So again, you guys are scrolling on social media all day anyway. Take a minute, check out our social media profile and give some love to Raphael. I want to post some of these clips so he knows to pass it on that you guys are seeing his stuff and he recommends other fantastic guests as well. Of course, the big thing here is I want to do real estate together. If you would like to either buy a property from me, sell a property to me, or find a way we can partner together or just have a conversation on how we can even work together, you're not sure, all you have to do is one of two things. Either DM me on social media, preferably Instagram, with the words real estate, so my assistant knows to peel it out, and we can have that conversation, or just text me the words real estate at 516-540-5733, 516-540-5733, and I will get back to you. Some I know I owe a couple of phone calls to some people, but I will get back to you guys, and we will start that conversation. 2024, let's start doing some deals together. Let's start making some money together. The perfect time is right now. So thank you guys for listening. Thank you, Raphael, for coming on. If you guys want a free checklist on how to bring more value to your buyers as a real estate agent or wholesaler, go to nicknicknick.com slash biggerpockets for your free checklist. Have a fantastic day. Go do some real estate. Go check Raphael. Go subscribe to the podcast and go do some jujitsu. Have a good day.
All right, my guest today is a former firefighter and organizational psychologist turned entrepreneur and real estate investor, as well as a CEO fighting out of Arizona. After starting his first business at the age of 21, he found real estate and began his journey as an investor. He then also went vertical, integrating multiple legs of his business to complement each other, including CEO Pulse, Pulse Realty, and Pulse Capital. He has since invested in multiple asset classes and done flips, rentals, creative deals, and even car washes, averaging about 8 to 12 deals per month as he fine-tunes his systems and processes to bring financial security through his bread and butter, wholesaling. You can catch him on his podcast, REI Wholesaling Podcast, the CEO Pulse Podcast, and he now teaches people just like you through his academy, REI Wholesaling Academy, which we will talk a ton about. Please welcome to the A-Game Podcast, my buddy, Rafael Cortez. What's up, man? Thanks for having me. It's a, it's uh, that was a really, really great intro. I loved it. <laughs> Appreciate that, man. You know, I, I joke around with everybody. I say I can't have an A game podcast and bring some like B or C game intro here for my guys. So oh, no, I bro, you're, it, you're definitely showing up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thanks, man. Very so kind. I did, I did some deep dives on you, man. I've, I've known about you for a long time, but then there was all these other things I found out about you. So maybe for people that aren't 100 percent familiar with with you yet, can you give a thirty thousand foot view of who you are and where you came from? Um, yeah, so I'm a real estate investor and I'm out of Phoenix. So we run a, a, uh, we do a lot of stuff too. We do a lot of wholesale, fix and flip, um, commercial stuff as well. Um, so, I mean, yeah, we're pretty active. We, uh, I mean, we went, I was doing around eight to 12 deals on a regular basis, just for the wholesale side. And then we bumped that up on the, on the, uh, portfolio side quite a bit. So, so, uh, right now, um, I do a lot of coaching as well. I'm an organizational psychologist. And so my, my thing is people and systems, right? So I bring that into the whole coaching aspect. I specialize in, in building businesses, architecting businesses that way. And, uh, and a lot of it too, I, I'm spending a lot of time right now coaching wholesale soon. So, uh, yeah, it's kind of, you know, me in a nutshell. Awesome, man. You know, I, after years of, you know, being a musician, being in real estate, doing jujitsu, the people that I know that teach it are the best operators because they're constantly going back to the basics and they're constantly paying attention to the foundations and they're getting questions on stuff a lot that you normally wouldn't have to figure out like, well, why does this work like that? Why does that do that? So I, I think it's really cool that you do that, man. I think it keeps you very sharp. And, uh, you know, sometimes it's like the old Miyagi thing. The student becomes a master, the master becomes a student. Dude, it's it's really cool. <clears throat> like one of the byproducts is is I do a lot of JV deals with my students, uh, just because you know they they learn how to negotiate stuff, they get good, you know good stuff through the door, and and then we end up working together on a lot of things. Uh, but you mentioned something really uh, really important when it comes to coaching, and and that's um, it forces you to hold that space, right? If you if you're if you're a coach, if you're a mentor, and you actually care about what you're doing. Uh, you, you're going to be doing a lot of stuff that uh, forces you to hold the space for them. Like, for example, uh, it's it's unethical for me to go out there and then teach somebody a marketing strategy just because I heard about it or it pays good, you know, good affiliates or whatever. If it's not something that I tried and tested and it's, um, you know, in the vertical of my business, I, I won't, you know, I won't put it out. I won't push it out. So what, what does it do? Like, um, business model wise, you have to stay on top of your stuff, right? But also on the development side, uh, it forces me to be better. So it's 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 very symbiotic when it comes to to uh, to um, the I guess the uh, the magic of coaching, right? Because it does work both ways. Anybody who's coaching can tell you that. 
<laughs> yeah, man, that, that's awesome stuff. And I think it's another like whole other topic, but I always think it's interesting when somebody's a, a good teacher, because just because you do something doesn't mean you can teach it. There's plenty of guys that can kick my butt in jujitsu and they have no idea how to teach anybody how to actually do that stuff. So it is a whole skill in itself being good at both just because you can do it doesn't mean you can teach it. But if you can teach it and do it, man, I think it brings a whole nother level to your own success as well as everybody else's. Yeah, it's um, <clears throat> it, it, I mean. It is a good point, right? Like you have to be able to articulate the stuff that you're going through. If you can explain it, it means that you understand it a lot better. Uh, and if you understand it a lot better, you can simplify it. You can, I mean, do with it, with, you know, whatever you want with it. Because at that point, like you own it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah, it's pretty interesting. That's cool stuff, man. And, you know, again, complimenting the fact that there's a lot of people out there that you see these days, everybody on Instagram is trying to teach people how to do stuff, like you said, that they really haven't even done. And then I come across guys like you that have been in the game for 20 plus years right around there. I think that that says a lot because you see people panicking all over social media, all over the news about interest rates and about the market turning. And then I remember at Family Mastermind when Ron LeGrand was sitting there, the guy didn't bat an eye. He's like, I've been through... 18 market cycles exactly like this. He's like, this seen is going to happen. Like, yeah. It's seen it all, done it all, man. But I think a lot of the newer generation of, of not only investors, but coaches and mentors, they've only been around when it was all good. They don't have any idea what it's like to see those market cycles and see things change, which is where I think somebody like you comes in a lot. So being that you have such a, a long history, seeing the markets change and seeing people freak out and react and watching how real estate lands, what's your take on what's happening today and how are you reacting? Like basically watching the way people freak out about what's happening in the market. How do you feel being that you've been through this already? Usually, well, first off, right? When somebody freaks out is because they, they have a lack of options. Increase the options, you're going to increase your, your, your level of, of you know, serenity per se, right? Why? Because you have more different things that you can deploy. For example, if you're a one-trick pony, you're just making wholesale offers. Um, I mean, you should be pretty nervous. Uh, it's, it's not going to be... You know, it's not going to be like it was in 2019, 2018, 2020, where we'd make, whole, you know, a wholesale offer. People would come in, we get a property, you know, be almost close to retail value and then, you know, slap it up on a, on a website or whatever. And, and a buyer will come in and take it. Right. It's not that. So anybody who started wholesaling after 2018, um, up until, you know, middle of last year, I think, um, you know, the waters were relatively, you know, the friendly right and then things just adjusted you see a lot of attrition a lot of people just falling off the wagon per se um as things get more and more difficult like you have to you have to grow your skill set uh you have to look at things like creative financing i've been i've been doing creative financing since 2000 my first creative financing deal was in 2012 12 late 12 or yeah 13 somewhere around there um, so it, it's, it's been, it's always been a tool, right? Um, it, it just got popular. Now it's mainstream, um, which makes it easier to, to, to have conversations about why, because sellers understand or not understand, but they, they, they hear it. They're more familiar with the concept of it. So they're, you know, a lot of them are more open. Um, but creative financing is one of them. Novations is another thing. I mean, you have to get really, really crafty on how you, um, you generate leads. For example, uh, for us, the backbone has been cold calling forever, cold calling an SMS, right? 
SMS has always been a bolt-on strategy, but cold calling has been a a standing you know pillar of the of the conversation. Unfortunately, right now it's not working as well as it was working six months ago. So so what do we do? We have to come in and then adjust, right? What what kind of software you know is out there? You know who's who's more optimized? Um, and you know where can we lean into? Like you know rolling in PPC, rolling in uh, direct mail campaigns for certain niched out lists, you know that sort of stuff. So. Yeah, I think the pivot is also something that people, they get so dead set on like, but I'm doing this, I'm doing this. And if they don't know how to adjust, there's always an adjustment in any business, in any market. Like, look at the world just in general, like taxi cabs to Ubers to Airbnbs and the hotel industry. Like, every industry is going to have to pivot. And I think it's those people that I refer to them as like the blockbuster videos of the world where they go, no, 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 but this is what I do. This is how I do it. And they want to shut everybody else down. They become extinct and they become dinosaurs very fast. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it's it's one of those things, you know. I, I guess talking about innovation, right? Like, if you if you uh, if you take it back ten years, innovation was like the you 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 were ahead of the curve if you were thinking innovation. Um, but it's like now it's a need. Like you you can't you have to stay ahead of the, the especially in real estate, bro. Like three years is like I mean we're living dog years right now. Like we really are when it comes to real estate. Three three months. Um, I mean, it's equivalent to like two and a half years of a regular market. It, it's crazy. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's a lot of it. Understanding of of you know where we stand, right? As as business owners, one thing that's gonna get hammered too is gonna be the mindset. Anybody who's holding on, you know, for dear life because they they haven't been through a through a cycle or haven't seen the lows on a friendly, you know. Uh, on a friendly market, um, they're going to feel like this thing is, this thing is broken. This thing is whack. This thing is done and over with. Uh, but in reality, I mean, we have, we have cycles like this every day. So, so, you know, we, what do we do? We have to, you know, come in and pivot and adjust and yeah, interest rates get crazy, but that opens up opportunities in other areas. So look at those other areas, right? Dude, we're, we're, we're getting properties for two and a half, three percent 3% on seller financing. So like those deals are still out there, you know, it, it's, it's a matter of, of, of opening yourself up a little bit, you know, per se to the, uh, to the possibilities. I think that's incredible, man. I love that. Now I've, I've heard you break down things in a, a, a very tactical way, which I think is awesome. So one of the things you were talking about when people are starting out, they're going, well, like what market should I even invest in? How do I even understand if it's a good market? And I've heard you break down the three steps of defining a market. I think you were saying volume, demand, and speed, if I got that right. Yeah. Yeah. If yeah you break it, that down a little bit, man, I thought that that's a great conversational topic. Yeah. So, so you have, uh, when we're looking at markets, right? Ideally you want to break into your own backyard if it's, if the, uh, if the numbers carry it, but if you're in a small town in rural America, like it's going to be really tough to actually build a consistent business that that's fluid, right. That actually lasts the, uh, the, um, or gives you that degree of consistency that we need. Um, so what I look for, if you're looking at virtual markets, I mean, you look at volume. Look at the volume of sales. Look at how how dense the uh, the population is. Um, I, I like to break down my strategy into primary and secondary markets. A primary market for me is anything over 300,000 people in population in the metro area, right? Anything over 300 people or 300,000 people in, in population is going to give me uh, you know, decent uh, development of jobs. It's going to give me a decent property value. Uh, it's going to give me a decent buyer's list. Right, you're gonna have a decent amount of absentee owners and that sort of thing. It, markets below three hundred thousand, I'm not saying they won't have that, um, but they're gonna be tougher to to do a year-round campaign and then just kind of swim in that pond, right? So I like to look at um, 
and uh, those factors as well like how um how dense is the area how active is uh, the uh, the market one of the other things that i look at too is is days on market for the speed okay how quickly are properties turning over um if they're going under contract in under 30 days and they're closing within 60 days i mean that's a relatively fast market right so because you know they're getting offers within a, a couple of weeks now if days on market get extended to 70 uh, 75 90 days 120 days it, it tells you like the average um or speed of that of that market now understand that because you're going to need to 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 know what that looks like um if you're tapping to a market virtually right even in your own backyard but you're going to need to uh, to know what that looks like because you have to drive the price points lower on the offer side so it it what we're seeing when we're doing like analysis and all that stuff we're seeing the trends on on that uh you know back end of the of the uh, of the market when we're studying it uh, it all connects to the acquisitions it all connects to the strategies that we're looking at uh, at deploying in that area. Like, for example, you have some some places where it's harder to list on the MLS as an exit strategy, right? Uh, in some places, it's just because you have flat fee listing services, because you have brokers that are friendlier to investors. Like, you have the ability to, to do, you know, you know, an MLS listing as opposed to an ovation. Um, and um, and what that allows us to do is, okay, cool. In this market, we know we can have that exit strategy, so we can push the price point. Uh, on the acquisition side, maybe a little higher, right? So it's always working with those percentages and thresholds um, as we're, you know, just kind of cleaning out what the entire the, the entire op is going to look like. That's awesome info, man. I, I love how that gets broken down. The days of market, is, I always tell people, is such a good indicator. And if you pay attention to those, you can maybe not keep yourself from, I always say like, there's always going to be a level of inherent risk, but it, it mitigates that so much because if yeah. a market's moving in 30 to 60 days, if you lose a buyer and you're looking at a deal, that's got six months on market, it's going to take you another six months to get that buyer on average. Like in a year, that market could change big. That could be the difference between you thought you were going to make money and now you lost money in a yeah. 30 to 60 day market cycle. Maybe you held it a little bit longer. Maybe you didn't make as much, but you're usually still okay. So I love that for that safety factor there, man. Yeah, no, thank you. So the psychology side of this, I could do four hours with you just on that. Like, I think it's amazing that you have that. And I can ask you 100,000 questions about how that plays into your background. But one of the things that I thought was super interesting is I was listening to you in another interview. You were talking about the, the disk test and you were saying uh, the profile, I think it was the C profile, which does a lot of calculating, if I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah. So I thought it was very a very interesting topic because one of the things I heard you say is, one of their drivers is their fear of lack of performance on their end. And they tend to be people that are worried that they're not going to bring their best. And, and I think it's a topic that doesn't get talked about a lot because when you said that, I feel like people talk about fear of failure all the time. And I felt like what you were alluding to there is people have a fear of success of like, well, what if I do this? Like, what if, what if I try my best and it's not enough? And like, then what do I do? What does it look like? So being afraid to either hundred percent commit to something and the fear that if you do, what if it's not enough or the fear of, if I do this and it does work, what then? So being a guy that studied psychology, like everybody talks about the fear of failure, but talk a little bit about the fear of success. So, um, good, good question, man. It, it's, uh, I feel like it, that can actually be more detrimental than, than the actual fear of failure of doing something is like, oh, it's not going to pan out. Um, fear of success is, is a fear of the unknown. So, so think about it this way, right? Like, um, you know how we have that effect? Like I'm from a small town. 
Um, so there was a handful of people that wanted to go out and then move out of the, out of the place and then look for just different horizons. Right. Um, I was part of that, you know, small group of people and I moved out. Right. But there's also, you know, the, the vast majority usually wants to stay within, within, you know, a safe zone within an area that they, and they understand, they recognize the familiarity, um, you know, and, and they're connected. They have that emotional, uh, you know, I don't want to say anchor because it's it sounds like a bad connotation to it, but they have that emotional, um, you know, fixation with staying around the same, you know, the same place. Fear, uh, success shapes things in uh, in in a totally different way. Now, think about it this way, right? Success uh, is not going to bring you back to your safe zone. It's going to create a whole new other level that you have to, you know, step up to and live uh, you know, that it's going to demand something bigger of you, right? So if you're successful, uh, more than likely a life that you've been living, um, you, you call it success because it's a step up. It's something that you were trying to achieve, right? So it's going to be a whole new planet, all right? Now, failure, I'm going to give that a shot. Worst case scenario, it doesn't work out. I go back right to the spot that I'm familiar with, that I know, right? So it's, 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 uh, failure is, I'm afraid, you know, it's, yeah, you're afraid to fail, um, but in reality, you're afraid of getting out of that, you know, breaking that boundary. The crazy thing about it is that it's unless you have a real honest conversation with yourself, you don't even realize these things. They, they come from a substantial or a subconscious need to survive. So so when you're stepping up, when you're stepping up your game and you're, you're aiming bigger, you're risking bigger, you're 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 pushing yourself towards that, you know, success and really, really own it, really become part of that journey, right? Like this is, this is something I'm gonna go after. I'm gonna go all in and, you know, whatever it takes and, and you're committed. There's a big difference between being interested in succeeding and then committing to success. Totally two, two totally different, uh, you know, animals, right? Um, so, so you get to that point, you have to grow into that person. So that, that fear of, of like what it's gonna, your subconscious is gonna, it's gonna want to keep you safe right? In, 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 this, in the realm that it knows that you have survived over the last, you know, 30, 40 years or whatever. Um, but when we aim higher, when we aim for that degree of success, it really puts us in a whole different context. We don't, we don't, oftentimes we don't know the, you know, the, the environment. We don't know the people that we're going to be around. We don't know what life is going to look like. Um, and it might be exciting, right? Because we're thinking or picturing that, you know, that time freedom, that financial freedom and, and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, like we have, innate responses um that are so so uh so deep subconsciously that they they want to anchor us in that's where self-sabotage comes in you you know we get to a point of of uh relative success right like a lot of times i don't know like look at a company that's doing or somebody who's, who's in wholesale we see this stuff all the time um you get a wholesaler is you know brand new jumps in year one um maybe struggles during the first two months to find deals finds a deal locks it up sells it, still hungry, boom, 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 locks the next one up, still hungry, boom, boom, boom. I don't know. You, you go like that through a, through a cycle of five, six deals. Uh, and then they, you know, they start getting a little comfortable, right? But the, the, uh, the, the lifestyle might start changing a little bit because the money changed. Um, and now you see a little, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to set it, I'm going to set it out. I need to market this month. Um, you know, I, I, I have, you know, some stuff in the pipeline. I deserve a break. I deserve, I don't know, vacation. I worked hard for the last six months. Uh, it's also, it's self-sabotage really. I mean, until we get to a point where we've reached that, uh, ideal, um, lifestyle that we want to get to, like, we're still in the trenches, right? But what happens is, is subconsciously we, we will, um, uh, cover up or make up stories in our mind as to what 
what self-sabotage looks like. Why? Because of that fear of getting, you know, stepping up to that next level and fear of success. Dude, um, uh, we were talking about family mastermind a little while ago. The first time I stepped in, in into that room, I felt so inadequate. I was like, I'm not coming back. Like <laughs> I have, I have absolutely nothing to offer these people. I am not coming back. I feel so uncomfortable. And it's like, and then you start building relationships, right? Like that, that to me was a, was a, a cue, right? It was like, okay, cool. This is what success in my head looks like. And I feel inadequate for it. My, my initial response was like, I don't belong here. Like, this is not, this is not a place. Like, it's not a place for me. I mean, I found out, you know, after a while that it truly is family, right? <laughs> but at the beginning, it's like, we, we go to default thinking. Right. So the fear of, of inadequacy was was there, but also the fear of like, man, I, like that success that like that next level. I don't know if it's me. I don't you know. So so there's so many things that you kind of interweave into it. But at the end of the day, like it can be one of those things that uh, that stops you on your tracks even before you get going. If you have been kicking yourself that you didn't start investing in real estate sooner, whether you're beginner, intermediate or advanced, any way you're looking to get it on a residential, commercial, land development, wholesaling, fix and flips, whatever it is, let's find a way to get you involved in some projects, get you some properties, whether you want to sell some properties to me, whether you want to buy some properties from me, whether residential, fix and flip, cash flow, multifamily, whatever it is you're looking for, let's figure out a way to get you involved or find a way for us to partner up on some deals. Go to www.nicknicknick.com, go on the consultation tab and figure out how to schedule an appointment to talk about where you fit in if you are not sure, or you can just reach out to me on any of my social media channels. If you go on www.nicknicknick.com slash links, you will see all the different ways to connect with me and figure out how we can start to work together make it happen. Everybody that invests in real estate always just says they wish they did it sooner. Best time to start is today. So, yeah, it was so deep. It goes back to such a primal level too. Like you were saying, like, uh, I, I, I don't know. Do you follow UFC at all? Yeah. 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 I used to train so, at the lab. At the where? At the lab. Oh, nice dude. Nice. Yeah. yeah. That's so cool. I rolled, I rolled there for a while. Nice. Yeah. I, I actually just, uh, I was out there, not that long ago, and I actually was trying to take a private with uh, Ben Henderson or John Crouch, but they they were out of town, corner another guy over there. So, but uh, my buddy owns uh, Gracie Scottsdale over there, man. I should link you up with them for sure. Oh, dude, uh, set it up whenever you're in town. <laughs> yeah, that'd be awesome, cool. But I was saying, like John Jones was on uh, the Rogan podcast, and he was like, "Man, I've never told anybody this before, but the Wednesday before all my fights, if I'm fighting on a Saturday, every Wednesday, I don't tell anybody, and I go out and I get blackout drunk." just in case I lose so I could go back and have this crutch to say, well, yeah, I lost. But what you don't know is that I went out and I drank on Wednesday night. And it's like, even at the highest, highest level like that, people have that, that self-sabotage that they need to put that thing in there. And it's like a guy on that level to make that decision. I'm sure his coaches would want to strangle him, but it's just something in our DNA that we all fight with that you think other people don't. And it's, it's just crazy to see like the things that we will put in place to get in our own way is, is insane. Yeah, so absolutely, man. So let's let's break that down for a second, right? Like we, what I'm saying, success demands a whole different level of you. Uh, success does not bring you back to that comfort zone, and and uh, you know a lot of a lot of times we like we'll tell ourselves a story to put this this fail safes in place, um, when when the reality is like I mean there there's there's a higher calling, there's something that's demanding more of us, right? Um, and and it's it's crazy, like the uh, the amount of of um, I don't know, like bull that will that will you know tell ourselves to to uh, to justify why we're not doing something that we really want to do, 
uh, it's not the right time. It's not for me. I'm not ready. Uh, oh, that's, I mean, that's below my, my status, uh, or that's above my pay grade. Uh, you know, like so many different stories. I am inadequate. I'm not, you know, the, don't even get me started on worthiness. Uh, <laughs> a lot of times, man, it's, it's like, oh, it's a great life, but I don't feel like I'm worth, why the, you know, why not? I don't know if I can cuss on the podcast, but yeah, you, you're the star of the show. You can do whatever you want. I've been doing, I've been dropping all kinds of F-bombs when it comes <laughs> to, uh, to, you know, to that kind of topic, man, it, because it truly is the biggest battle that we, that we go through. Um, as entrepreneurs everything else man think about it right everything else is nuts and bolts um i, I keep telling my students i you know the, literally the blueprint to do the business is laid out like that's that's there it, it, don't even worry about it it's nuts and bolts they're there boom like it's push this button get this result right um the mindset the mental wiring and and the engrams all the memories you know all the uh, the the biases that we have that are that are already just ingrained and really really wired into our behaviors that's the battle that's the kind of stuff usually when you have somebody who's a, a you know bootstrap entrepreneur there's a lot of baggage that comes along with it mm. i kept telling myself the story for years uh no i mean i i feel like i'm gonna do okay but like it, it's not you know it's not in the millions it's not in the you know that sort of thing i grew up in a mobile home like i'm a you know humble beginnings and, and that sort of thing so that story just kind of lingered for a long long time until the people outside or around me started to believe more in me than than i believed in myself and it kind of started seeing the picture right but it took me a while to just get a uh, um a grasp um uh to of, of okay like the value that we have as individuals and understand that shit man like my self-doubts are, are what's killing me it's not the economy it's not my surroundings it's not my history it's not you know the 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 just me it's all me it's all a me battle yeah so well said man that's incredible stuff i love the insight i could talk about that all day man i think it's an incredible topic <laughs> Nice, man. So transition a little bit. Obviously, the people listening that are, are learning, want to learn about wholesaling will kill me if I didn't at least bring up wholesaling. So one yeah. of the things that I wanted to break down a little bit of a, a more defined level, you talk about the six stages of wholesaling. So let me let me start with that. Like, what are the six stages of wholesaling? And then I'd like to kind of throw you something for each one of them. I'm pretty methodical when it comes to business building. Um I, I see myself as a business architect, right? It's I can I can craft the vision, but I can also develop the uh, the processes and the pieces that go in there. Um, so with that being said, the uh, every business has different stages to it, and, and uh, so those six stages I use the same six stages in my brokerage, um, and uh, and so it's it's more of a business framework really because you can you can. You can adapt it to to a lot of different things, a lot of different operations. But stage number one is going to be sourcing, right? Sourcing. You're sourcing your business. In this case, in wholesaling, we're sourcing leads. The sourcing stage includes anything that's cold calling, PPC, you know, SMS, whatever your lead generation strategy is. It's uh, the next thing is going to be converting. Um, or also pre-qualifying. So that's stage two. So we source and then we pre-qualify. That pre-qualification is having that initial conversation with the sellers. We pre-qualify based on condition, a timeline, motivation, and price. Um, so we we go through this, you know, this entire conversation and screen them out to push them over to stage three, which is going to be acquisitions, right? Um, so the way it breaks down too, when you have a systematic approach to it, um, you know what lanes and what roles and responsibility go in each lane, 
For example, in the sourcing, I'm going to have a team of cold callers. I'm going to have, you know, whoever's managing my PPC campaigns and, and you know, that sort of thing. They're going to be in that sourcing stage. On the pre-qualification stage, I'm going to have my lead managers. Now, we have different trainings. We have different modalities. We have different behavioral strengths that need to apply to each one of those stages as well because the requirements are different, right? Um, so the cool thing about it, too, is that by the time you get to acquisitions, and the uh, think about it this way, like if you reach a thousand people on the sourcing stage, right? And then out of those 1,000, 100 make it over to uh, getting pre-qualified, right? And then out of those 100, only 10 become prospects and they actually get qualified to go to acquisitions. When you get to acquisitions, you're talking to 10 people as opposed to a thousand. Like one big mistake that I see uh, quite a bit, and if you're a solopreneur, like you're starting wholesaling, you're going to be wearing all the hats, right? So you're going to be cold calling and, and doing everything. But as you build a business and kind of put the pieces together, um, you, you can like you can build a really, really good engine that just becomes a conveyor belt. This is where leads come in. This is where we clean them up. This is where we close them, right? And acquisitions. Um, so lock up the deal and then you send it over to dispositions. And uh, I mean, that's you know, self-explanatory. We have this entire you know, 21 day dispo process to push the deals and everything. Now that's where most, uh, I feel like that's where most businesses just kind of, you know, stop. Okay. The, the settlement statement comes in, get the wire, like woo, um, celebrate and then move on right back to, to the sourcing and then boom, do it again. Right. Right back to the sourcing. Um, stage five is measuring. So that's where we look at KPIs. What happened throughout the deal, right? I have this, this very elaborate scorecard um, that I built through the years. And, and it's, I mean, it just gives us a really, really good outlook of, of where things are at, right? We look at cost per lead. We look at offers made. We look at, um, you know, all kinds of, all kinds of KPIs that the, the company just needs to know about in order to know how we're navigating. So, so that measuring stage, which is five, gives us a lot of data, right? But it has to happen. Like we literally break down every single deal. Like we, we, um, all the KPIs sort of do like, okay, how long did it take us on this campaign to get, you know, this, this return. Right. And I feel like it's, it's, um, as we, like, as we go along with, and, and, and you know, companies get better and, and, and everything, like it's something that more and more businesses are doing. But you still, you'd be surprised, man. Like, um, business is doing a ton of, you know, deals out there. Like, a lot of them don't have the KPI factor, you know, uh, um, dialed in. They don't have the accountability factor dialed in. Um, they have to micromanage people because they don't know what's going on, right? Like, it's 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 all part of that systematic approach to it. So, stage five is going to be measuring. Um, uh, another thing that we do at stage five, part of the measuring is, is we, we have the operation meetings. We have daily huddles and operation meetings, right? Huddles happen every morning and it's a five, 10 minute huddle. Like where are we at? What's going on today? What do you need help with? Super simple. And then we go acquisitions, uh, um, we go legion acquisitions and dispo. So hammer it out. Um, then we move on. We don't do any issue uh, processing or anything like that. It's just, it's a touch point. And then um, the Tuesdays, we do have ops meetings. On Tuesdays, we go through the scorecard. We do a full review of what happened last week. Um, and, you know, touch really, like, if there's anything that's going on, that's where we kind of fix stuff. And those go longer. I mean, they can go um, 90 minutes, sometimes even longer than that, Tuesday meetings, right? So, But that's a, that's a measuring portion of it. And the last one is the improving portion of it. You can have all the data in the world, but if you don't have a... a, a, um, a fixed process 
on how to use that information and deploy it in the business, like it's just going to sit there. Like how many, how many companies do you know that, that, okay, yeah, we're pulling all the KPIs. We have all the KPIs. Like how are you using the KPIs, the key performance indicators? Are you going back and are you adjusting your marketing campaigns? Um, are you going back and adjusting your closing ratios because you're, you're doing training on the areas that you need to have training with, with your acquisitions people, right? Um, out of your cold calling team, like who's actually performing, who's not performing, and is it an attitude issue or is it a, a, a training issue, right? So all of that stuff happens because you have the awareness of improvement on stage six. Um, so kind of to, you know, to recap, right? And again, if you think about it, every business has this. We have sourcing. Every business is going to source business one way or another, right? Every business is going to pre-qualify and convert, right? Every business is going to have to have an acquisitions process. Even if you go to a grocery store, like what's the acquisitions, the register, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. Dispositions is, is, uh, is actually, no, the acquisitions is going to be the uh, fulfillment, then this position is going to be the register. So when you sell the deal, um, and then you have measuring and improving. So six stages. And, and I feel like that model you can take and you can apply it in a lot of different, different areas. Of course, you're going to have variations, but, but it's, uh, it gives you a really good framework. I think that's incredible, man. I, I love that. So, uh, I'll do like a little recap and give you something for like a tip or a question on, on each one, starting with, so sourcing, yeah. Right now, I, I heard you talk about the avatar list, which I had never actually heard about before. But what are like one or two of your favorite ways to source deals right now? Um, one of one of the go like people always ask like, what's the best list, right? Like I feel like all the lists work because we've gotten deals off of all of them. <laughs> um, you can you know hit pre foreclosures and all that stuff. But if you have if you're looking for a mass uh, you know a mass list that that's gonna be somewhat targeted and it's not just the absentee owner where you're gonna get like for example if you hit the absentee owner you might and you're depending on where you're at. Uh, but you're going to get, you know, million dollar properties, $3 million properties. And the, like the buyer base for that kind of property is small, right? So there's a lot of stuff that's going to kind of sneak in there um, when it comes to values. But I look at the uh, property avatar. So I don't look at the seller. So it's no seller, no seller info. We have property avatar uh, list that I like to pull. Basically what that is, we'll do research on any given market. And, um, and for example, we broke into Tampa and did the property avatar. That's where we rolled out in the first place. And what that is, it's um, you look at the type of property that's selling the most. And this list source is, is great for this type of research. It's free too. So listsource.com. Um, you can go and then start creating filters and whatnot, right? So the um, you start looking at, at property values, right? And then you, you're going to see in there that, I don't know, like most properties, um, there's 200,000 properties in the area. Um, or there were 200,000 sales, you know, just for the sake of numbers, um, in, in the last, you know, five years. Right. So, and then 400,000 of them happened in the 250 to 450 range. Right. Okay. So that's like the, the, the bulk of, you know, where all the sales are happening, everything else is kind of, you know, sprinkled. Um, so we look at, okay, we'll take that price point. Now we have, um, we have a, um, and it's not the medium price point. It's going to be different. A medium price point gets gets affected or influenced by you know the high high property values, so you, the luxury market. Uh, in this case, we're looking at where do the most sales take place, right? So why? Because it's going to be the like the the sweet spot for the fix and flippers. So we look at that, and then we look at is it three beds, two baths, four beds, two baths? You know, you'll be surprised what you find there. So that's another thing, right? And then we look at your build. Okay, most of these properties are, you know, within the um, the you know two thousand five and, and and prior, 
right? Between uh, 1980 and 2005 or something. So you you start to create this avatar of the property that's in highest demand in that area. Um, and then what you do is you just pull a list. You you don't you don't have any seller data. It's not absentee owner. No you know no tired landlords or anything. So you're gonna get a lot of people that. Um, what happens with that list, because it's just going after the property itself, you're going to get people who are in probate, you're going to get people who are in divorce, you're going to get people who are, you know, going through all kinds of different things, right? Because you're going after the property. You're also going to get a lot of um, 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 owner-occupied properties, but then usually what I've found is that you usually end up having uh, deferred maintenance on them. So like we still get deals from owner-occupied properties. So I like I like to go off of that one. I mean, I think we've we've been trained to go after the seller, the seller, the seller, the seller. I'm like, hey, what are you know what what do we switch it a little bit and then just go after the type of property that makes sense, and then you know whatever the seller in it, it, it you know it's, we're going to be prepared for it because we know how to you know how to solve those issues. That's super smart, man. I, I like the reverse engineering there. I I won't go too deep into converting because I was going to ask about how that psychological background has helped with that, and I'm sure. You won't be able to go deep on that in the time that we have, but that could be a whole other podcast, man. So dispositions, though, I think is very uh, important to talk about today because the buy boxes for our buyers have changed a little bit. So talk a little bit about what are you seeing right now as far as the disposition side? Are you adjusting anything for the market? What are you seeing buyers just don't want? Where are you having success still selling in wholesales? So, so just like we adjust for primary and secondary markets, like I mentioned earlier, um, on uh, on the acquisition side, you have to get aggressive on the sales side, right? On the dispo side, it's not just about you know putting a property on an email list and blasting it out anymore. Like you, you know that that she doesn't fly. <laughs> like it's you have to get you know be proactive when it comes to to uh, to actually selling the deals and having conversations. So a couple of things that we're doing that that are working for us. Um, I have, so we have the general list, right? The big list. And I don't know, we have around 40,000 records on that thing, uh, for buyers. It's a big email list. And then that gets dialed in and to, uh, to a VAP list. So it's a smaller list, a couple thousand people, right? And then we have a third list, which is the A list. That list is only about 20, 30 people uh, in that list, right? And we constantly clean that list up. Uh, that one in the VAP list, they're always getting work. Um, but we we're building relationships with them. Like we're like we we actually call them, you know, with every single deal. We'll send direct text messages and that sort of thing. So we're like pretty on it, and we give them a you know we give them dibs on 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 properties that are coming in. Hey, listen, we're gonna send it out to everybody and their mom tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know if, if you're interested, let me know, right? So we'll do that on on day one of the marketing. But I think it's one of the biggest um um. Uh, you know, assets that we can have. Like we've always known that your buyer's list is your holy grail as a wholesaler. Um, but I feel like we all got lazy there for, for a while. Why? Because you could just throw something on, on you know, into the air and somebody would buy it, right? Inventory was, there, there was no inventory. Like I, Phoenix, man, we got to like 1,800 properties at one point. I feel like it's crazy. This is a market of, you know, where the, uh, the, the happy place, the balance is 30,000. Where, where you where you have a a you know decent buyer seller market, twenty eight to thirty thousand. So <clears throat> so anything anything that was you know locked, even if it was a price, I mean it was you know wholesale deals were selling above Airbnb in, in some cases, depending on like the areas, like good areas, Arcadia, like yeah, nobody cared. Like yeah, <laughs> there's not yeah, you know what I mean. So so um again, like anybody who started after two thousand eighteen, like they saw those 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 times, right? And and now they like 
I feel like everybody thinks like, oh, this is like the wheels are falling off. Like, no, this is how we learned wholesale back in 2009, 10, 11. <laughs> like, this is what you actually had to do, go out there and actually negotiate deals um, and then be proactive when you when you were selling them. So so on the dispo side, it's it's something that we're doing. Um, <clears throat> we are changing, like, for example, the offer thresholds and and, you know, depending on primary and secondary markets as well. That's awesome. Man. I love that. So what do you, how do you decide what you want to wholesale, what you want to keep? Like, where is your buy box and your decision tree when you get deals? Um, I'm I, like, I don't like big, big projects to me. It's, it's, I'd rather have, you know, the consistency and the motion teams getting paid. We can move more deals and whatnot instead of getting bogged down. So we don't, uh, I mean, we do flips where we cherry pick. Like a lot of it is hotel, you know, basic cleanup, paint carpet, and then, you know, put it back out. Um, that's what we're doing it. Anything that we can, we can, can sub to and, you know, create financing and take over. Like we're doing that. And this, this year, I think we're at somewhere around 60, mid sixties on, on properties added to the portfolio. So, so through, through seller financing. Sick. Um, yeah. And, uh, I mean, it, it, it works. I mean, it's just a different, it's a different stage. Last year we were just wholesaling everything. <clears throat> so so again, like you pivot the strategies and, and we may feel like the, you know, the walls are caving in, but the reality is like, there's just different opportunity, right? All we got to do is change the perspective a little bit. It's like, oh, there's light over there. Let's go, <laughs> let's go that route. That's so, awesome. So yeah, like if you're, if you're a wholesaler, you, in, like now is, is more important than ever to, to fine tune your craft. I love that, man. Good stuff. So as we pivot out of that now, one of the things that I think is uh, another whole interesting topic, I only got two, two more things for you before I let you talk about what you got going on, but work-life balance. I, I heard you say something and when you said it, it was like, he's talking about me, like it resonated so much because you said, you know, I feel like as the entrepreneur, the work-life balance is a bit of a myth because whenever you're with your family, you're thinking about work and whenever you're at work, you're thinking about your family. And I was like, man, that's exactly how it is. It's like, I just want to be home. And then you're home. You're like, oh, but what about this deal? What about that? And it's very hard to be present. So, you know, thankfully with stuff like this, you realize that you're not alone on the alley. You're not the only person. A lot of entrepreneurs feel like that. So I really appreciated when you shared that, but how do you deal with that? How do you, how do you fix that? How do you, how do you help yourself be more present when you're doing things that are important with people you love? Let, let's go, uh, let's go a couple levels deep, right? Um, survival mode, survival mode. Um, it, it's crazy, but we'll stay on survival mode and, and adopt survival mode behaviors way longer than we need to. Um, work-life balance is a, is a perfect example of that. Why we, we turn, uh, when we're in survival mode, we're launching a business, we're starting something new, we're you know, bootstrapping, you know, whatever, even if you have finances and, and, you know, decent finances, you're coming into somewhere, some other aspect, anytime you're working on something, um, <clears throat> that you're, that you're, you know, launching or, or, you know, jumping into a, a new, a new venture, right? Like there's going to be a, um, a feeling of, of survival in there. And, and again, it's, it's, we're wired, right. To, to operate and, 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 and save ourselves. So, <laughs> so, so survival mode has a lot to do with, with the work life um, counterbalance because it, 
when we're when we're family, when we're you know trying to disconnect, we're doing like we're still thinking like the business is is doing this. We have you know so many deals going on. There's you know this 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 going on. System and processes may not be in place. Like that's gonna feed that need for for survival. Why? Because you have anxiousness, not necessarily not necessarily anxiety or or you know true concern, but there's anxiousness. There's something like just tells you that you're uneasy, right? Any anytime we have that feeling, like the the we revert back to natural behaviors, which is to get, you know, feel like behave like we're in survival mode. So um, think about it this way, right? Like it's for me, for me getting out of that, that state or something really interesting happened. Like I was operating based on survival mode. Cause I really literally had to survive. I had no cash. Like I had to, you know, figure shit out and make money. Right. So I did that in my first business. I, I started, you know, putting some cash together and whatnot. Um, and it worked out well. And then I started uh, investing in a couple of different things and it worked out well. And I kind of kept going. Right. And then I realized that I, I, I like, it'd been years since I was, I was, I was no longer in survival. In, in, you know, I didn't have to like operate that way, but my habits were very much wired uh, into that survival mode mentality. So I was operating like I was still in survival, but I wasn't like the, the you know, everything was getting paid and all that stuff. Um, and I, I, I earned a degree of freedom when it came to time, but I was still kind of reverting myself back to that, like to that, to that modality. And, and it's crazy how we'll do that without realizing it, it, bro, it hit me years later. Like, why am I, why am I so concerned? Like, why am I not enjoying the moment? Why am I not, why, why am I not present? Right. And I went back and, and, uh, and what I, you know, what I realized was like, man, I'm still behaving like 10 years ago. Like I haven't switched my behaviors, right? I haven't, um, I haven't really stepped into that leader role. Uh, you know, I'm still the, the, uh, the, the guy that wants to run the entire, the entire thing. I'm not empowering people around me, right? So, so when that hit me, I was like, man, I got, I got to change some of these habits. I got to become better at different skill sets. And I feel like we operate under that premise. Right. And we don't fine tune the skill sets that we need to fine tune because we're again, we're stepping into that next level of of our leadership roles. Uh, when we step to that next level, like we have to learn different skill sets. We have to you know, learn how to delegate. We have to learn how to empower people around us. We have to trust more it's like, holy shit, you're telling me I got to trust somebody with my business. <laughs> Bro, that's scary. You know what I mean? But we, when we don't do that, um, and we step away from it. We're spending time with the family. We're at the beach. We're on vacation, quote unquote. We're still thinking about all the crap that's going wrong. You know what I mean? That might be, you know, that like that I'm not doing. I, I need to handle an email. I need to handle a phone call. I need to handle this, this and that. Um, so, so it'll like, I feel like we have to find counterbalance as opposed to balance. I, I feel like at least for me, like in my, in my story, balance, work-life balance is really a myth. And, and, uh, you know, it's, it's because I'm going to be super into the work that I'm doing, or I'm going to be super into the family uh, moment, right? Um, it, it's important to find uh, your counterbalance, something that pulls you out of it. Uh, and I've, I burned out in the past because, because of, you know, just getting, getting, you know, just sucked into the, um, the operations and, and all the stress and all that stuff and not really counterbalancing with family and personal time and growth, uh, right? So, so to me, it's very important to have something that just draws me out of it. Now, the trick to it um, is, is that that thing that pulls you out of your work mode has to be something that absolutely just, you know, takes a grip on you. If you put me at the beach anywhere, man, like I'm, I'm, I'm set. I am good. I am not going to even look at my phone. I'm not going to, I don't care about emails. I'm at, like, <laughs> to me, I'm at the beach, right? If you put me in the middle of a forest, I'm still going to look for like 
I'm gonna be looking for signal. Like it's just you know it it doesn't do it for me, right? But to me, the counterbalance is is you know taking trips like that that just kind of. Uh, you know they 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 take over me. Like, there's certain things that we're gonna like. I'm sure when you're in your uh, in, you know in your space and you're and you're you know in flow when it comes to jujitsu, like you're not thinking about anything else, right? So that's a counterbalance for you. Um, and and it's important to find out what that is for us as individuals. Like to me, again, it's taking trips, it's going off roading. There's certain things that that I really enjoy enjoy, and I enjoy doing them with my family. Like I try to do as much as I can. Because they they genuinely get my head out of the out of the work that I have to do, and I'm very passionate. That's a problem. I'm very passionate about all the stuff that I do. I'm excited about it. I love what I do, right? So to me, it's like playtime, um, and uh, and it's easy to kind of you know revert back to it when when I'm trying to spend I don't know an evening at the house or you know we go to the movies or something something that's you know doesn't really just pull you out of it. Um, but it, it's, it's finding something that creates that sense of counterbalance. I think it's going to be more important, more realistic, I feel, for, for entrepreneurs like us that are, you know, all over the place and always looking for, for, for the excitement of, of like the achievement. You know what I mean? Dude, that was a deep answer. I love it. <laughs> Good stuff, brother. So I know we're getting a little tight on time, man. I appreciate everything you're sharing. I could keep you on here for hours today, but one last question before we kind of get into everything you're doing. I didn't realize you were a jiu-jitsu guy until you just brought that up. I'm surprised nobody passed that on to me, like family or stuff. But talk a little bit about your jiu-jitsu journey and have you learned anything from being on the mats that's helped you in business or in life? Breathe. <laughs> Breathe. I can hear John Crouch in the background. Breathe. Um, no, it's it's uh I mean, bro, I feel like some the best martial artists have the best self-control. Uh, and, and like, it's, I feel like it's an art that really teaches you emotional intelligence because you can't freak out when you have, you know, somebody who's a hundred pounds heavier than you are, you guys are rolling and they're on top of you and whatnot. You can't freak out. Um, it's, um, and it's like, to me, I didn't have that, that, uh, acuity I feel, um, until I started doing, doing, uh, uh, jujitsu. And I mean, I spent a lot of time too, like striking Muay Thai is, is kind of my thing. Jujitsu, I did a lot of no gi. Um, my son does a lot of jujitsu as well. So, it, you know, it's pretty cool, but it just kind of, you know, it brings you, it brings you to that, you know, to that point. I, I like, I love the, uh, the, the, uh, the concept of self-awareness, right? Sometimes we just, you know, feel we have a plan. We feel we have it all figured out and then we get punched in the face and like it changes. <laughs> uh, and, and it's, 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 I mean, it's very much the same in, in business. Like, dude, it's, it's. Uh, you know, when you're going through a struggle or whatever, it's like having that 100, you know, uh, pound, you know, person, you know, on top of you when you're trying to roll in your white belt and that person has brown belt or something. Like it just it feels different. You know what I mean? Um, and um, and I felt like this is crazy, right? Like rolling and, and, and being in that space and, of course, different, you know, skills and everything. I felt so, so powerless. Uh, when my ego wants to tell me that I have, you know, everything dialed in and whatnot. And then, yeah, there's some circumstances where it's like, oh, I don't, uh, I, I mean, <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, but it, it creates that, uh, I feel like it, it creates that tenacity too, like that willingness to move forward and, and not from an ego standpoint, but from a healthy development standpoint. So, yeah, I mean, absolutely. Like it's one of the best things that I feel like I've, I've, I've done. <laughs> Fantastic answer, man. Yeah, me, you, Nathan Payne, and a couple other guys got to get together and uh, do some nogi at the next family mastermind. Man, I roll every morning when I'm in there. Nobody ever comes with me, so I'll hopefully really? you'll tag along the next one. Yeah, yeah. yeah I got to practice. I'm a bit rusty. <laughs> yeah, man, that'll be awesome. Man. Looking forward to it, man. So, 
Now talk about you. What do you got going on? So I know we got two podcasts. We got the RI Wholesale Academy. Talk all the ways that people can find you, listen to you. How are you helping people wholesale these days? Um, I do have a free course, Wholesaling 101. I break down, actually, I break down the, the six-stage st process on that. Um, it's a free course on reawholesaling.com. You can go there and then just download it. Um, and then I do have a coaching program. I have a coaching program where I do the same thing. I have a one-on-one coaching program. So I'm pretty active on the, uh, on the, uh, on the teaching portion of it. Uh, I'm super active on the doing deals portion of it. I, again, like JB with a lot of my students and we all make money. Uh, everybody walks away happy. So, so it's, um, it's, you know, it's pretty cool that way on social. You can find me anywhere. Rafael Cortez, CEO. I do have the CEO pulse podcast and, uh, the REI wholesaling podcast. You can find those on, on, uh, on YouTube and iTunes as well, everywhere. Uh, but yeah, anywhere, uh, Rafael Cortez, CEO, I'm pretty active on Instagram. So try to respond to all my messages and everything. So that's where they can find me. Awesome, man. Yeah, I checked out your site. It's got a lot of really cool resources and things on there, a lot of links for affiliates and stuff that help people do things better, safer, and faster. And again, if you're going to learn it from somebody, I think somebody that's been in the game for 20 years that's still there, I think says a lot about the amount of tools you have in your tool belt, the tenacity to be successful, because it's it's not an easy business to be in for two years, let alone 20, man. So I highly encourage everybody, if you're watching or listening, go to the show notes, all the ways to connect with you on your podcast, on your social media, on your academy. I'll put them all right there and you guys can link up. And uh, this gentleman is definitely more than capable of helping you guys get into some deals. Awesome. Nick, thanks so much, man. It's been fun. Dude, I appreciate it. I've been uh, looking forward to getting you on, man. Obviously, you are somebody who brings your A-game to everything you do in life. This interview has been no different. You definitely brought your A-game to this podcast today. Before I let you go about your evening, any final thoughts before I let you go? Uh, don't think about it. Just do it. Take action. Massive action is going to be the like the answer to, to anything that you're wondering, pondering, and, and trying to figure out in the future. Like We don't have anything laid out. Like You can, you can create plans and, 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 and pro, you know, courses of action and everything, but there's nothing like like uh, having a sense of direction, then taking action on the first step. If you can see the, the next step in front of you, you're winning. Take that one. Then after that, you're going to see something else. And then after that, you're going to see something else. And that's really how the journey goes. Don't wait there. You talked about analytical profiles earlier. Don't wait there and then become a victim to analysis, paralysis, and procrastination. Why? Because that's going to kill any dreams that you have about entrepreneurship. So yeah, that's what I would say. Fantastic final word, sir. Everybody, make sure you check it out. Thank you for coming on the A-Game Podcast. Rafael Cortez, always relatable, entertainable, and enjoyable. Have a fantastic day, sir. Thank you.